Well, hey, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you uh, here in the sanctuary. Great to see everybody. Hey, outside, everyone. Wave. Yes. Awesome. Good to see you guys as well. Uh, my name is Norton, and um, I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. And uh, I actually love preaching on Easter uh, for two reasons. Uh, number one, because Easter is all about joy and celebration and hope. And after 40 days of Lent, and then after what feels like, what, 400 days of a pandemic now, I think uh, joy and hope and celebration is something we could all use. Um, but here's the second reason I like preaching on Easter is because it's always a challenge. Uh, it's just a challenge because we all know what Easter is about. We all know why we're here. Uh, we know how the story is already going to end, right? You already know the theme of today's um, message. But here's the deal. Here's a thought that I've had recently. I'm not sure how many of us actually believe the Easter story. Um, I I think probably most of us uh, believe the Easter story in our brains, but I don't know how many of us actually believe the Easter story in the rest of our bodies. And, And believing something or believing in something requires believing it in your brain and believing in your body. Let me give you an example. Uh, A little over a year ago, um, we started hearing reports of people getting sick, and the medical professionals said there was this uh, new virus that was spreading around. We couldn't see it. None of us could see the virus, but they said it's actually really dangerous, and it's highly contagious, and if you catch it, uh, you'll get sick, and it could actually be serious. It could lead to long-term effects, and for some people, it might even lead to death. Um, And for most of us, like I said, we couldn't actually see the virus, but we could see the evidence of its effects. And as we saw more and more evidence of its effects, we all began to believe that, yeah, there really is this, this very contagious and deadly virus. So we started believing that in our brains, but believing is something you also do in your body. Because if I believe there's this deadly virus that uh, could potentially threaten my health or the health of those that I love, then um, I'll start wearing a mask, right? I'll cover up my face and um, I'll wash my hands regularly and uh, I'll distance myself from other people. I won't touch them or hug them as much as I usually do because I hug everybody all the time, right? And uh, I won't do that like I usually do. And, um, and if, I'm get, if I get sick, if I start getting the sniffles, I'll let someone shove this thing up my nose to test me to see whether I've actually got the virus or not. And then I'll get a shot in my arm a couple of different times, right, to try to protect myself against it. It's, it's going to change the way I act and live in the whole rest of my body. You see, if you believe something in your brain, it shapes the way you live in your body. Now, when it comes to the Easter story, I think most of us, probably because if you're watching today online or if you're here in church, I think most of us potentially believe the Easter story in our brains, but I don't know whether we believe it in our bodies because when you believe something just in your brain but not in your body, it's kind of like saying, well, I believe it's going to rain later this afternoon. I've looked at the weather reports. I believe it's going to rain, but I'm still going to go hiking and I'm not going to take a rain jacket. 
That's saying you believe it in your brain, but not really in your body. Or it would be like saying, I do believe there's this very contagious and deadly virus, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to hug everyone I see. I'm going to go up to strangers and let them snot and cough and sneeze all over me, right? That, That would be, again, believing something in your brain, but not really in your body. Now, there's different stakes when it comes to belief. The stakes are pretty low if you believe that it's going to rain this afternoon, but you don't take a rain jacket and you go hiking. You'll just get wet. Stakes are a bit higher with a deadly virus, right? I actually have a friend who caught COVID about three weeks ago. He's in his 40s. He's relatively healthy. He landed in the ICU for two days. So stakes are a lot higher. And for some people with that belief, I mean, it is life and death. Then there was a guy named Paul who said, but then when it comes to the Easter story, it's not just about whether you take your coat or you get wet or not when you go hiking. It's more like life and death stakes. It's a really important belief. It's at the middle of everything that we believe. In fact, he, he wrote a letter to some friends of his, some Christians, people that gathered in church every Sunday like we do, And this is what he said. They were living in Corinth. This is from 1 Corinthians. He said this, How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We are of all people most to be pitied. So he's saying to people like you and me, if you believe everything else, all those things that we said in that creed earlier, but you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, then well, then everything else is kind of worthless. It's useless. It's, it's futile. Maybe you believe that your sins are forgiven and taken care of, but that's not even true either. You're just still in your sin. I mean, if we don't believe this thing, then we should be pitied among all people. And so this morning, because Paul says the stakes are so high, I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk about and wrestle with and explore what does it mean to believe the Easter story in our brains and in our bodies? And maybe you're here or you're watching or you're sitting outside and and maybe you're coming back to church or maybe you're new to church or or maybe even new to reading the Bible or, or Christianity. Maybe you're a skeptic. And it's stuff like this, the kind of miraculous stuff that you say, I'm not sure I buy that. Or maybe you're like me, you just analyze and overanalyze everything in your head and it has to make logical, like scientific, rational sense for you to believe it. We'll talk about a little bit of that this morning. Why some people that Paul wrote to had a hard time believing it. But then we're also gonna look at what does it mean to believe in our actual bodies? Because that might be way more important for most of us than we're aware of. So Paul said to his friends there, how can you say there's no resurrection? And again, remember, these are Christians. They meet in church every Sunday. In the rest of his letter, he writes them about normal church stuff. They take communion. So they gather together and they remember Jesus' death for them, what we remember just a couple days ago on Good Friday. They remember that Jesus died for their sins. So, So they believe all of these things about Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. So why don't they believe that Jesus rose from the dead? 
Well, it seems like there's a couple of reasons. The first reason that they don't believe Jesus rose from the dead is because that's kind of hard to believe. And they weren't there when it happened and they didn't see it with their own eyes. So Paul writes this letter to his friends in Corinth about 25 years after Jesus died. And uh, his friends are Jews. Um, They're not Jews, sorry. They're Greeks and they live in Corinth. They're not Jews that live in Jerusalem. And on a map, if you look at it, Corinth is in Greece and that is a long way from Jerusalem. So none of them were there in Jerusalem 25 years earlier when Jesus died on a cross and supposedly rose from the grave. So they didn't see it. And for them, the idea that someone can rise from the dead is is crazy. It's just not very believable. It's not something that's even humanly possible. And sometimes we think that people in the ancient world, they just believed really silly stuff because they don't have medical or scientific knowledge like we do. And yeah, their, their knowledge was less than we have today, but they knew enough about human bodies to know people don't rise from the dead. There's not a single story in all of ancient Greek culture of any person ever rising from the dead after they've died. There's not a single story of any body, physical body, ever being resurrected. They knew that 100% of the time, people's bodies get old and they're racked by illness and they eventually decay and they die and 100% of the time, our bodies turn to dust. And that's just what happens. And so believing that somebody could rise from the dead was was crazy to them. It would be like me coming to you and saying, hey, have you heard that story about, there's a woman down in Ecuador and uh, she grew these wings out of her back and they turned into massive wings and then she could just fly around the city in the air. You believe that? And you say, no, that's crazy. I don't believe that. Like, I mean, that happens in like, X-Men, I mean, it happens in fantasy stories or, or movies, but we all know those are just movies. Those are made-up stories. Like, that's not real. That can't happen. That's just not possible. I would never believe that would actually happen unless I could see it with my own eyes. Now, Paul can't take his friends 25 years back in time and transport them to Jerusalem. They can't actually see this. And so he knows he can never offer them definitive proof. He can't offer any kind of scientific proof that that Jesus rose from the grave. And that's hard, I think, for some of us because I want scientific proof for everything. And uh, sometimes we want that. And and Paul and the other biblical writers, they just don't provide that because they know they can't. So they're not even concerned with that. They're not even trying to offer that kind of proof for us. But Paul can provide some evidence. He can introduce his friends in Corinth to a whole bunch of people who did see Jesus rise from the dead. Look at what he writes to them. He says this earlier in chapter 15. For the good news that I pass on to you, it's of first importance, meaning This is one of those core foundational things. It is the first and most important thing that you could believe out of everything you could believe. And it's this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, 
Peter's name in Aramaic is Cephas. Then he appeared to Cephas, and then he appeared to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That was his way of saying some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, that was the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So Paul's saying to his friends, like, I get it. I, I get that believing someone can rise from the dead is kind of crazy and it's, it's unbelievable. It's like believing someone can grow wings and fly. I, I understand that. But a lot of people saw this and you can talk to them. They can tell you, not what they believe. This is not about what they believe. It's about what they actually saw with their own eyes. You know, Peter, He's a fun, loving, genuine guy. Talk to him. He saw all of this. Talk to the other disciples. Some of them didn't believe it at first. Thomas, that dude is a skeptic. Talk to him. He'll tell you all about what he saw. You don't believe them? There were 500 people. Some of them are going to visit you in a couple of months. You can talk to them when they visit, and they'll tell you what they saw. Or how about this? Talk to James. James was Jesus' brother. If anyone knows who Jesus is... And what he looks like. And James wasn't even a believer when all this happened. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was a skeptic too. He didn't believe any of this. And he saw Jesus risen from the dead. See, Paul would say to his friends, I can't give you proof. If you need scientific proof, I I can't offer that. I can give you a whole lot of evidence. And you can talk to a lot of witnesses a lot of people who did see this. And honestly, for me uh, personally, I think this is probably the most compelling evidence of Jesus rising from the dead, that you have all of these people who don't forget most of these people ended up being persecuted and dying. And they, didn't really be, they weren't really persecuted and dying for their faith. It's not because of something they believe in. They were persecuted and they died for something they say they actually saw and experienced, right? And at any moment, any of these people could have recanted. At any moment, as they're being tortured and then killed, they could have said, you know what? Uh, Actually, we made it all up. It was just a crazy story. Uh, We just wanted to get famous or we wanted to get rich. We wanted to write books. We we wanted to just do something. We wanted to keep the dream alive. And so we made it all up. Jesus didn't. They never do that. On their deathbeds, as they're being tortured, they continue to say over and over, I can't explain it. I can just tell you what I saw. Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul says to his friends in Corinth, you got to listen to these witnesses. you got to believe these people who say they saw it with their own eyes. Now, I said there were two reasons that these friends in Corinth probably didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, two sticking points for them. Uh, the first is just because it was hard to believe and they, they didn't see it with their own eyes. And we don't tend to believe things like that unless we see it. But the second sticking point for them was actually much bigger than we realize. We tend to focus on the first, because again, we kind of want evidence and proof for everything. But the second thing for them was much bigger, and it has 
way bigger implications for us than we're aware of. But in order to explain it to you, I need to tell you a little bit about Greek thought and philosophy and culture. So let's take a real quick detour. In Greek thought, a person was made up of two different parts. There was their body and their soul. These two parts were distinct and they were separate. You had a body and you had a soul. Sometimes the soul is called the spirit. Uh, Sometimes it's your heart. Sometimes it's even your mind. There's different terms. But for the most part, it's these two different parts of your body or there's two different parts of who you are as a person, your body and your soul. Your body is the physical part of you. Your soul is the spiritual or the immaterial part of you. Your body is what everyone can see, right? And your soul is that part of you deep inside that nobody can see. And and if that sounds a bit familiar, it's because we still use a lot of the same language today because we're still deeply informed and shaped by Greek thought today. Plato was uh, really the first philosopher that unpacked this at length, and, and he's shaped by Socrates, that was his mentor, and then Aristotle was somebody that he tutored, and there's whole philosophy of, of what a person is like and their body and their soul, he writes about it, and it shapes all of Greek thought and culture throughout the entire Roman Empire. For hundreds of years later, there's this philosophy called Platonic philosophy. It's based on Plato. And then there's a new movement of that called Neoplatonic philosophy that that sort of reinforces all of these ideas. And it's still come down to us and shaped how many people think in the modern West. We just use these same categories of body and soul. And there's a couple of more distinctions that are really important. Greeks believed that your body was mortal and your soul was immortal. Meaning, your body is going to decay and it's going to die one day. But your soul is what will continue to live on even after your body dies. Now, the Greek philosophers would speculate on what this afterlife was like, what it was like for your soul to live in a disembodied state, continue to live without this body and where it would live. And, And they would sometimes talk about it living in this place they called Hades, And we hear Hades, and sometimes it has negative connotations, but for them, it was actually a very neutral thing. It was just like the word for the afterlife. Um, And this is where your soul went, although it's not even really right to speak of a place that your soul is, because it's not in a place. It's an immaterial, sort of spiritual part of you that lives on outside of your body. Now, you can see that if you believe that your body is mortal and that it's going to decay and die one day, but your soul is the part of you that lives forever, well, then that means your body is just a container or almost like a prison for your soul. And your soul is the realest, truest part of you. Who you really are is who you are in your soul. In fact, Plato, even in some of his writings, he describes the body as chaining the soul down. The body is holding the soul down like a captive. There's this chain. And then when someone dies, it's like the soul is finally liberated from this prison of a body. Now, part of the reason they believe this is just because their bodies experience all the things our bodies experienced. Their bodies became frail, Their bodies fell apart, their bodies suffered disease, 
Our bodies betray us. No matter how much we feed our bodies, they're never satisfied. Our bodies eventually decay and die. And so they had this view that the body was just like a prison and the truest, realest part of you was in your soul. Now, think about this for a second. If you believe that the body and the soul are like that, and this became unquestioned in Greco-Roman culture, if you believe that the soul is the real you and your body is just this dying and decaying prison, then do you see how the resurrection of someone's body would make zero sense to them? Why would anyone want that? Why would that be good? Why would your soul, the real part of you, entering the container or the shell or the prison of you that has been holding back the real part of you, why would that be a good thing? That's like putting a prisoner back in prison after he or she has been liberated. And so the issue for Paul's friends in Corinth isn't just we don't believe Jesus rose from the grave because we weren't there when it happened and we didn't see it. It was we don't believe anybody would ever rise from the dead because our bodies are bad. Our bodies are just a prison. Our bodies are not who we really are. And this whole understanding has huge implications for how people lived in Greek culture. There were some people that were ascetics because of what they believed about their bodies. So ascetics meant they denied everything in their body. They said, anytime you experience pleasure or anything that's associated with your bodies, your body is, is yucky and it's, it's dirty and it's bad. And so they would deny themselves of certain food and they would deny themselves of wine or, or deny themselves of, of sex or, or anything that was pleasurable or anything that was associated with recreation, right? They would deny themselves of these things. There were others in Greek culture who would give themselves wholly over to mystical and intellectual and mental and spiritual and religious pursuits because that was the most important thing. So Paul shows up in the city of Athens. There's one story, and Athens is literally right down the road from Corinth. And he says, man, you people are so religious. Like You just worship all of these these idols, and you sit around all day and you debate philosophy and you're reading poetry. Like that's, that is life for you because, because you're just so focused on feeding your soul. And there's even others in Greek culture who thought, look, the body is, is so bad and it's going to die and decay anyways. Why not just indulge everything in your body, right? Why not just eat anything you want? Drink anything you want, sleep with whoever you want, do anything you want to your body because that's not even really the real you. But underlying all of these attitudes is this deeply held belief that the body is bad and the bodies ultimately just decay and die and your soul is the only real part of you. Now, the reason I tell you all of that and we take that little detour, and the reason I think it's so important for us is because we make the same mistakes that the ancient Greeks did. We tend to separate 
our bodies and our souls into these two separate things. And then sometimes we entirely neglect the soul part. And sometimes we entirely neglect the body part. Sometimes like the ancient Greeks, we simply indulge our bodies in ways that are deeply destructive. And we do it because we have this, I don't care attitude. It's all going to fall apart one day anyways attitude. Or some of us actually came from spiritual traditions or church backgrounds that only talked about what happened to people's souls. As if that was the only thing that was important about you, was going to heaven one day and living in some disembodied existence where your soul is floating on the clouds with Jesus. And, and any bodily or tangible or sort of worldly needs, helping people who are sick or poor or who need access to clean water for their bodies or access to adequate health care or a fair judicial system. Those things are not important, some of us were told. What's most important is, have you asked Jesus into your heart and into your soul? Or, or here's where this issue really hits us. How many of us don't really like our bodies? I, I won't ask you to raise your hand uh, today, but how many of us wish we had different bodies? How many of us are ashamed of our bodies? How many of us suffer in our bodies? And because of that, it's some deep level that we're not even aware of and have, we've never articulated. We actually have embraced this belief that our bodies are bad. They're just inherently bad. And here's where the Easter story is so important and so significant for us because Jesus rising from the dead is sort of the once and for all declaration that our bodies are not bad and that our bodies are just as much you and me as our souls are. And it helps us remember that Jesus himself took on a human body, that he became human, and that he experienced in his human body all the things that we experience. He experienced pain, he experienced suffering, he experienced fatigue, he experienced depression, he experienced his body decaying, he experienced his body suffering under illness, he experienced people damaging his body, and ultimately death in his body. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that ultimately Jesus overcomes all of that and experiences new life and resurrection and wholeness and healing in his physical body. And for us, that's the direction of our journey of faith. It's not about where our soul is going to go one day. It's about what Jesus wants to do in all of our bodies. Listen to what Paul says to his friends in Corinth. He says this, but Christ 
has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or have died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And that word first fruit is important. Paul says Jesus is the first fruit. You know what first fruit is? This is the first fruit that appears. It's the first grapes that appear on the vine. It's the first palisade peaches that appear on the trees, right? It's the first buds that appear on the branches in spring. And when you see those buds or you see those peaches or you see those grapes, you know that the rest are about to follow. And so Paul makes it clear that what happens to Jesus when Jesus was raised from the dead in his physical body is what's going to happen to every single one of us. And the reason we feel so divided in our bodies right now, the reason we do experience the decay in our bodies, the reason that we have all of this dysfunction and frailty in our bodies, it goes back to the sin and the violence and the dysfunction and the disease that's in this world that goes all the way back to Adam, but that one day God is going to overturn all of that and he will make our bodies new and whole again. And here's what he says about that day. Paul writes this, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. So Paul's interesting because he actually uses the terms of Greek thought during that time where the Greek thinkers would have said, no, it's only the soul that's immortal and imperishable. Your body is what's perishable and mortal. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Actually, one day your body will become imperishable too and your body will become immortal. And when that happens, then the saying that is written will come true. And now he quotes the Old Testament, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, our ultimate enemy, Paul wants us to understand in the world, is death. And is death in our physical bodies. And so at Easter time, we don't celebrate and remember the Easter story as a story where Jesus just proves he's the Messiah by raising him from the dead. Or it's not a story that, it's not a miracle that Jesus does just to kind of top all the other miracles that he's done. And it's not a story that we just talk about just to give us hope when we're having a difficult week, like hang in there, Easter Sunday's coming. I mean, it's all of those things, but it's so much more than that. The Easter story is the ultimate declaration that in our physical bodies we're good and that God is in the process of rescuing and redeeming those physical bodies from everything that that mars them and disfigures them and that one day our bodies will be made whole and new again. And that's part of the process of what he's doing in our lives. Now, this message is just an introduction. Because ultimately, this has all kinds of ramifications. If we believe this about our bodies and we believe this about Easter, it has so many implications about the rest of our lives. 
And so next Sunday, we're actually kicking off a brand new series. It's going to be called Sacred Soma. The word soma is the Greek word for body. It's a word that's used all throughout the New Testament because the authors begin to use this word and they begin to undo all of the things that Greek thought was doing in people's minds and they begin to give us a new and a different perspective on our souls and on our bodies and on the implications of Easter in every single fiber of our bodies. And so I hope you'll come back next Sunday because we're going to begin teasing that out and reading what those authors had to say. But today, today we simply celebrate the resurrection of Jesus's body as the first fruit of the direction and the destination that we're all headed towards. So let me pray and then we'll close by celebrating that. God, I pray um, this morning for all of us who are gathered here and uh, who are maybe watching online, those who are outside, um, we come with all sorts of stuff going on in our lives today. And uh, some of us come with pain, um, some of us come with hurt, some of us come with a difficult year, some of us bring feelings and emotions that we can't even articulate. We don't even understand fully what we're carrying And so, God, we bring all of that to you this morning, and we trust that if you can conquer our greatest enemy, if you can conquer death, if your son can be made whole and new and alive again, and if we can believe that, then you can bring that new life and that wholeness into our lives, and into our bodies as well. So help us believe that as we celebrate that and sing that this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen.